Good morning. Last week we looked at uh, the power of strategic multiplication, and we, we got to see just how far-reaching Paul's ministry extended. We got to see that because he was insanely successful at reproducing himself in the lives of others. And he, he gave away that ministry to others in order to maximize the kingdom's advance. His ability to reproduce himself was only uh, plausible because the people he poured into welcomed the process. They allowed him to be honest with them. They allowed him to be honest with them and to speak into the places of their lives that needed growth. We gather in a place like this, and if I'm, is it okay if I'm honest? Yeah. Is it okay if I'm honest? When we sing, there, there's no lie you won't tear down. Okay? There's no shadow you won't light up coming after me. And when... When that is sung by his church like this, there's no shadow you won't light up. Let me be honest. I don't want to go to that church. Let me be honest. Like we are not singing as if we're fascinated by there's not a wall that God won't kick down in our lives. There's not a lie that he won't tear down in us. And so if I'm honest this morning, there's some walls about to come down. And there's some lies about to be torn down in each of us, but we have to be open to the process. Are we open to the process? Will we welcome God coming and breathing into our lives places of needed growth so that we look more like Him when we leave this place than than maybe when we came in? So, um, it was never more evident than in the lives of Aquila and Priscilla from last week. Aquila and Priscilla were invested in by Paul. He developed them in the gospel. And he did so in such a way that, that they became contributors to said gospel. Now, we know nothing more about Aquila and Priscilla other than they were tent makers by trade and they were developed by Paul. They were not, they were not some um, dynamic preachers who wowed everyone that they came into contact with their, with their gift of the oratory. They were normal hard-working, God-fearing people like you and I. And, and in fact, when they heard that kind of preaching gift in someone else, they felt the call to invest in it. They didn't feel threatened by it. That was, that was Apollo's call, actually. If you remember from last week and you didn't hear the sermon, go back and listen to it. But they heard in Apollos a gift, someone who was an eloquent, uh, eloquent speaker, the Scripture says, but he didn't have the fullness of the gospel, so they knew their role was to invest in him and to help develop him in the fullness of the story because they themselves weren't called to the platform, but they knew that he was. And so they poured into his life so that he could go on and accept his calling and his place in the kingdom, and they played their role as commoners just like you and me. Now, their story is not the story that we hear of most of the time in the Bible. They're not the kingdom heroes that we oftentimes hear about. But, listen, they're the kind of kingdom heroes that most of the kingdom is built upon. And the kingdom needs more of. There are people who, who recognized that we all play an equal part in this. Every part is important. 
And that is actually the value that we hold here as a church and have to expound on today. Plurality. Plurality in leadership. We are a people who value here at the fellowship specialization. We believe that every single person here has a ministry. And it's our role as disciples to complete the mission of developing more disciples who understand how they've been asked to specialize. Here's the thing. How many of you have ever been fascinated by watching someone teaching their foot to use a fork? I, I get fascinated by this. I've, I've watched videos. I've watched people put a... They can eat with their foot. But it's kind of gross. That's what's fascinating. It's completely unnatural. It's not natural. It's never going to work quite as right as it should in, in my hand. But if I could teach my foot to use a fork, I kind of want to. Because it's fascinating. But it doesn't mean it's right. You see, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul likens the church and its parishioners' functions therein to parts of the human body. He's very close to this church. If you listened last week, he started it, gave 18 months in it, and invested in Aquila Priscilla there. He would then take them on, and before they're ready, he would drop them in Ephesus. And that's where they would meet Apollos, who would go on to become the long-term Corinthian pastor. But he understands why and just how important this church is because it is an epicenter to the rest of the world at this time, but it's oftentimes labeled a New Testament troubled church. Why? Because it was the, it was the height of immorality and its, its reputation was so vile to the rest of the world that the church there ran the risk of constantly being influenced by it. And so when Paul writes back in 1 Corinthians to this church after he's left and he's in chains, he writes back in a loving and corrective tone to instruct them. There was a problem that had formed in Corinth. They'd been a little bit and become a little susceptible to the very thing that he was afraid of, and that was this. There was a divisive envy within that church. And if it wasn't rebuked quickly and efficiently, it could and would become a cancerous poison, ultimately destroying the church there. Members of that specific body were becoming enamored with the miraculous gifts. Those things that seemed to be more public than those that weren't. And in public ministry, oftentimes we have a tendency like, like it happened to Paul and Barnabas at Lystra. They treated them like gods because... And they started to worship them as gods because they believed that they were in fact gods. They were elevating the person rather than the one true God who had imparted the gift itself. I don't think that any of us identify with this. Not here in America. We don't love our heroes. Right? We don't love our rock stars, even Christian ones. We're not desperately devout to keeping up with the Joneses, right? We're not a people here in America that struggle with the envy thing or gifting envy. Let me read for you in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 24. Paul's corrective caution, he's asking each of us to check our heart. It says this, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though one, are, are many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized in one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is, is one part, but many. 
If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, is it not there? Is it for that reason no longer part of the body? If the ear should say, to, uh, that because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. Listen to this part. And those parts of the body that we consider, highlight, underline, we consider. Because he's saying those things that you think that we consider as less honorable, we clothe them with greater honor. Or un, in our unrespectable parts, we treat with greater respect, which the respectable parts do not need. Instead... God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. So that, verse 25, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. Point one today is this. Your call is your call. Your call is your call. There's no reason for us to envy or chase after another's call. Paul is saying that we've each been given specific gifts, and if we choose not to use them because of our own envy of another or our lack of recognition because our gift isn't as public as someone else's, then not only are you in sin, you become in the way. John Piper writes in his book, The Dangerous Duty of Delight, he says that if you do anything in service but you don't do it with joy, you're in sin. You actually serve as dead weight to the body and cause everyone else to work twice as hard to simply function. The problem I personally see with this is most people who fall into this category already know it. They know that they're in the way, but instead of examining their heart, confessing their envy, repenting of their wrongful ways and aspirations, they simply quit. They often recognize too late or not at all that God has given them a role to play within the body that is vital And he's holding each of them accountable for the acceptance and exercising of those gifts that he's imparted to us. However, what we have a a tendency to do is we, we take our ball and we go somewhere else. We have a tendency to take our ball, go somewhere else, and we go looking for the platform or a public recognizable gift that they're never going to be quite afforded whether they go to this church or that church or that church. And... In the end, what happens is they get so hurt. It's like Matthew 25, like the parable of talents. They get so hurt that they bury their talent beneath years of self-loathing and church hurt. And they ultimately take their ball, go home, never to play well with others. Never to contribute to the church. Daniel, Daniel M. writes it in his work, No Silver Bullet, says this. God is more concerned with your faithfulness than he is your fame. Ministry to the few is just as important as ministry to the many. There is something seductive about the stage. And we in America have fallen prey to the subtle message that unless you're ministering to thousands upon thousands, your ministry is otherwise unimportant. And it's not, it's not that it's 
a conscious thing. We just love our rock stars that much. We love our idols and we love hero worship. Paul here says in verses 15 and 16, though you say you're not of the body, does that mean you actually aren't? Just because you decide that your assignment is unimportant doesn't mean that it in fact is. God made you and specifically gifted you to utilize your specific gifting and shape within this body. And when we deny that, we become God ourselves. When you begin to determine how God can use you and how he can't use you, you become God. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's imagine that uh, my right foot decides that uh, it's just done being covered up. It's just mad that uh, the eye gets to see beautiful colors and the, the mouth gets to taste wonderful foods. But the, the, the foot, man, it just sits in here getting sweaty all day, smelling by the end of the day, stuck in a shoe, hidden away from the rest of the world. So it decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to time out. I'm still connected to the body, but I'm just not going to work. I'm still going to do my job anymore. Now, that's forcing my left foot to carry all the weight. It's forcing my left foot to now give me something to stand on as a platform and to move me forward. I want you to imagine me trying to drive a car without my right foot. I want you to try to imagine here in America where we sit on the left side of the transmission column without my right foot. I hop up on my left, unlock my car. Now I have to get my dead weight inside the car, move it over, and then push it back. But my right foot still decides, I just don't want to play. How am I supposed to balance the gas and letting out the clutch while I shift with my right hand and steer with my left with my eyes going forward without heading into disaster? How am I supposed to drive or move a car forward when it's a standard, a stick shift? Some of you who don't know how to drive, that's how they used to be made. How am I supposed to move forward when my right foot chooses not to play? It just causes every other member of the body to work twice as hard. And it has to get creative. And it may be headed towards disaster. Without my right foot, i got nothing to stand on. Without my right foot, though you may not see it all the time, though it's hidden away in my shoes, so I try to pick decent shoes, i got nothing to move me forward. It plays a vital part to my existence. There's an old Hasidic tale that goes like this. There was a rabbi named Zushia who died and went to stand before the judgment seat of God. As he waited for God to appear, he grew nervous thinking about his life and how little he had done. He began to imagine that God was going to ask him, Why weren't you Moses? Why weren't you Solomon? Why weren't you David? But when God appeared, the rabbi was surprised because God looked at him and simply asked, Why weren't you Zuzia? God's never expected you to be anything other than what he has called you to be. And so often in America, I want to paint this picture for you, we define people in wrong terms. How often do you meet someone for the first time and you go, Hi, my name's Justin, what do you do? You're not defined by what you do. In fact, I had lunch with Andy Dunning here 
when I first came on and, and we went to lunch and he looked at me and he said, I got to ask you a question. So what's that? He goes, you are a walking conundrum to me. He goes, I've heard you preach and what comes out of you doesn't match you. And that's because what I do is not who I am. Do you understand? I simply do because I'm called to. But it doesn't define. There's a whole lot more to me than preacher. We'll get into a little bit more of that. Uh, Verses 17 through 19 says this. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Point two, your calling should unite, not divide. We have unity in the body, but diversity in calling and gift. If we all had the same gifts and shape, where would the body be? And lest we forget, it was God himself who arranged the parts of the body just as he wanted. Here's the thing. That's what I mean when I say, when you decide to not do as you are called and not to operate as he has gifted you, you're choosing to be God. But he himself is the one that knit you, fit you, and designed you to contribute here. And even if you're like, I've got a little bit of envy because I'm not publicly recognized and the platform that I get isn't as big, I feel. You're choosing to cut off the kingdom's advance and how you play a role naturally. When you go chasing a platform, listen to me. And the seeming validation, seeming validation that comes with one. Instead of looking at your God, who already loves you, values you, smiles over you, knit you exactly as he desired, knows exactly who you are, and has wired you to work exactly as he wants. When you so choose to reject his smile, to reject his presence, to reject his sovereign creation and creating you in his image, Genesis one twenty seven, when you decide, you become God. So here's the thing. Maybe you're there and you're going, but you don't know. I am so gifted. I could kill it if you just let me on that platform. Here's the thing. Listen to me. Then you better preach like that down here. You hear me? You better worship and you better serve down here before you are elevated to a place like this. And there better be a faithfulness in your life to your God down here. Before they start asking you to step some here. Because here's the thing. If, if there's a faithfulness down here, guess what? You won't have to be begging for a platform. They'll send for you. We'll send for you. You hear me? We, we recognize. This place says we value plurality in leadership. We recognize those who can lead others. We recognize leaders who can lead leaders. But guess what? You won't be asked to step up if you can't lead yourself. Ephesians 4 says it like this. In verse 11. And he himself... Gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Equipping the saints for the work 
of the ministry, but building up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we'll no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown by every wind of doctrine and human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. From Him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Listen, maybe there are some of you who are just a little bit more hospitable than others. Maybe some of you are a little bit more entrepreneurial than others. Maybe some of you have this amazing uh, ability to empathize with others and to encourage others. Maybe you're here and you just have a tendency to thirst and hunger after righteousness, as Matthew 5 says. You just want the truth and you're kind of done with all the lies. And maybe you're here and you just have this amazing gift of taking these ornate concepts and giving them away in detail, in a, in a palatable form so that the people can chew on it. If that is true, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body and the building up of itself by proper working of each individual part. We need each other. Your gift and call was given to you to unite, not divide, not to envy, not to promote a place of bitterness. Here it is. I know that there's a, there's a teaching out there, and we've got to be mindful of it. We've got to be uh, a little concerned about it, and here it is. It's a caution that you can be everything because Paul said you can be all things to all people, right? So you've got to be everything. You've got to be all these things. Listen to me. God's never expected your foot to use a fork, and there's no such thing as a foot hand. You see... Paul wrote that, yes, but if, before you take it out of context, which to see it that way is to take it out of biblical context, you must also remember that, that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. Every passage I'm reading from, Paul wrote. So why would he write this as if to disregard what he said of these other passages? He didn't. He never did that. He's not doing that to contradict himself. What he's saying is this. You have a specific part to play, a role to play, a place where you, in fact, can contribute, and it's important. God himself said in Matthew 20, Jesus said, in my kingdom, the last shall be first. There's one body. We all have gifting, but if we all had the same call and gifting, where would the body be? Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 22, it says it like this. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. Unrespectable parts we treat with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable parts, so there'd be no division within the body, that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, listen to this, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice. Paul's trying to tell us it really is a we thing. It's not a me thing. 
That's why he sent them out the way he did. The cap, the large, the big C church, okay, the global church is not about one person, one member, one leader. And that's the same. It's true here at the fellowship. We believe in this. There are, there are no weaker or less glorious roles. Everything is equal. In the unrespectable parts, we want to treat with greater respect. So listen, if Jesus himself in Matthew 20 says, the last shall be first, let's stop trying to run to the front of the line. And let's recognize that God himself has said, I've already saved a spot for you. I saved a spot for you at the front because you were willing and able and obedient to the call that I gave you. Let's lay down our culture's obsession with fame, hero worship, and celebrity status. And let's follow the words and the call of our Lord to come before Him and be faithful in the little. Seek to serve the Lord rather than to be served. Third is this. We're accountable to our call. We need to own your call. In No Silver Bullets, Daniel references a story about a, man, a boy named Simon. After reading it, I found myself recognizing just how many times that I've made this same or similar decision. Daniel paints this picture of how he's super hype about a sermon series that God had given him. And he was going to do it for eight weeks at his youth ministry in Montreal, Quebec. And he firmly believed that once he gave this away, once he started this, it was going to set the world ablaze from his youth group in Montreal. And he was so excited to give it away. But the night he was to start... He sat there, and one student showed up, one, Simon. It was him, Christina, and Simon. So because of those circumstances, it says Daniel thought to himself, he said, why am I going to begin this epic sermon launch on one student? So Daniel decided to push it off a week. And wait, that night he played pool with him instead. Nothing wrong with building relationships, nothing wrong with having that. But that was the night he was to give that away, and he pushed it off because circumstantially he didn't seem that it made fit. It seemed like it'd be a waste of his time. Later, he was convicted about that. So he called Simon and asked him to forgive him when he realized the decision not to preach that sermon was the wrong one. It says that Simon began to pour out unto Daniel everything he'd been dealing with, And Daniel recognized he was supposed to give it that night because that sermon was for one. That sermon was for Simon. I love the way Jean-Jacques Sermon puts this. He said, it's not as much much a matter of you having a gifting as you being a gift. Too often, if we go chasing after a certain gifting, we'll forget the promise and the gift that we already are. Instead of looking to have an answer, why don't you be the answer to the problem? I, as a leader, get aggravated because I have so many people who come to me and want to point out all the problems that they see, but they offer no solution. And I I look at them oftentimes and say, you are an answer. And they don't understand that. They say, no, I have an answer. Here's what we should do. I think we should do this. You started with, I think. That's the first problem. I want to know what God thinks. And I want to know the role that you're going to play in it because obviously he's brought it to your attention. And I agree with you, there's a problem. But will you be an answer to the problem instead of trying to get credit for having the answer? My bad. Maybe we went too far there. (laughs) Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 says it like this. I love what Paul says here. 
Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all who is above all and through all and in all. Let me help you understand what I mean by calling. There is so much that I want to unpack for you, but identify that I have limited time and I'm almost out and here it is. We're going to get to this as we get further down the road. We're going to walk through this as we go. I, I feel like you know, Jesus looked at his disciples all the time and he said, man, there's so much I want to give you. You're just not ready for it. It's too much to take. So like there's so much that we as a people need to walk through together and we can't, we're not ready for it yet. But right here and now I need to, I need to throw out what I think I mean by this. We got to stop identifying call is what we do. Some people say, well, I'm called to be a doctor, called to be a dentist. Is there not more to you than that? Let me, let me start where the Bible says where to start. Your proving ground for ministry is in your home. You know why I'm called to be a father? Because I have kids. It's that simple. I'm called to be a father because I have kids. And I have one shot at messing up my kids. I'm not going to let you take that from me. Terrence Chapman says it like this in his book, Do Your Children Believe? He said, you know, I realized this successful billionaire who is being asked, flown all over the world, to speak into Fortune 500 companies as a consultant. He said, I realized I was succeeding in every place of my life except the one place I was truly irreplaceable. That was the spiritual leader of my home to my kids. You know why I'm I'm called to be a husband? Because I'm the only husband Heather has. It's not rocket science. You know what I'm saying? There's not a whole lot to figure out there. Oftentimes we're associating calling with some mountaintop experience. And sometimes God speaks in the miraculous and through dreams and visions. And I've experienced that. But maybe calling is more about an awareness of truth and living it out. And less about a feeling. More about the acceptance of what simply is. Hello? Thankfully, my faith is not dictated and my God is not moved by the how I feel about him. My feelings don't change the fact of who God is or what he expects of me. In the same way, we're all called to be a part of the body of Christ, whether we feel like it or not. That doesn't change the fact that we're called to be a part of the body of Christ. If your right foot doesn't feel like being a right foot anymore, it just gets in the way. Your call is your call. Your call was intended to unite, not divide, and you must own your call. Look, we got to start where we can. We got to start in the places where God expects us to. For instance, Proverbs 22 6 says, Train up a child in the way that you go, and when you're old, you will not depart from it. Listen, we as a church believe that verse means a whole lot more than just coming here and consuming. That means a whole lot more than just take a kid to church. And when they go to college, they'll lose their mind a little bit. And then hopefully one day they'll have kids themselves and they'll come back. 
It means a whole lot more than that. It means that you have an individual bend that God desires to reveal to you that you were graven in His image and the way that you were graven contributes to the whole. But you are not expected to be everything. That was Jesus. And we need a Savior, right? I still need Jesus. But I was saved for this purpose and I contribute in a certain way. But here's the thing. I need everyone else contributing the way that they're called to. This place is gifted and you are necessary. Look around. I want to highlight why we as a church believe in plurality and believe in plurality and leadership and why it's working, why it succeeds. Why we are committed to not have a senior pastor, but we are committed to elder leadership. Why? Because Andy Dunning is 6'6", and has a personality couldn't hide in a room like this. But you know what? That dude does more behind the scenes and more you don't know about than you do. And I dig that about him. Lynn Taylor would take bullets for this place. There's not a better shepherd in the entire order of our elders than Scott Matthews. You're extremely blessed to have a campus pastor who knows to lead Walk with, defend, and correct lovingly. And here's the thing. If I can just come up here and not screw up my part, he gets to shepherd better. (laughs) Eric is a leader to leaders. Watch his student ministry lead this church. Watch. It's happening. Aaron oozes leadership. He's more than just a piano player or guitar player. He oozes leadership. It's Cheryl. She's married to a coach, and she literally understands next man up. We got to honor two people who were being called on last week, and Chuck and Kristen. Guess what? Cheryl was already ready to step up. And who else would we like to entrust to our young families than the creative mind of Cheryl? Do you hear me? Dude, we are extremely blessed. And all I want to do today is to highlight the reason we're blessed and why we're committed to it. But here's the thing. I don't know who in here is more hospitable than next. I don't know who the gifted teachers are. I just know that we're not going to place you in a place that needs to be fit because we like you. There's a difference between between being a leader and being likable. That creates a mess. And here's the thing, if you can't be faithful in the place where you know you're called, husband, father, or called as a ministry partner to contribute here, you've been coming forever and they've been asking for you to get involved and we have a new opportunity. We have Cheryl who is working hard at, at, at leading the, the next step that she just stepped into in children's and she's going to need some help, but... But you've just heard about it, not felt the conviction to get in place. VBS is coming, an outreach to the entire community, but yet you haven't volunteered yet. And you could contribute. And it may not be in teaching role. It may be in hospitality because you're gifted. It's natural. We're not going to ask a foot to hold a fork. Hello? Like, you know when it happens, right? Let me be honest. 
If you're in the parking lot beating your kids, disrespecting your husband, walk in here, gossip about that man to another person, yet because you walk through these doors, you put on the smile, and no one ever gets to call you on that, that's a problem. We're not making disciples if we're not open to people being honest with us that we look more like Jesus when we leave this place than we walked in. The mission statement of this church is still doing whatever it takes. And that means being honest. To develop disciples, apprentices of Jesus who will gather, grow, and go. Hey, we gather well. How are we growing? And who are you giving license to speak into you that says, hey, if I'm honest, I got some things to say to you that you're not really going to like. You're that right foot that right now just won't do what you're called to do and you're in the way. And you're causing all of us to work twice as hard. And we're headed for destruction until you decide to be a right foot. How do I start doing that? Hey, Start by loving your husband, repenting of the gossip. Start by recognizing you got one chance to love those kids and rear them and help them understand who they've been called to be. So stop beating them in the parking lot. Own your call. Yeah. 